Hi, this is Toby Radloff, the genuine nerd from Cleveland, Ohio, and you're listening to Shock Treatment with Mel and Maddie. <laughs> All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of Shock Treatment with Mel and Maddie. Mel, how you doing over there tonight? I'm doing. I can't wait for this pizza break, but I'm doing. Yeah. We have a, we have a very special guest with us this evening. A uh, man you might have known, you've seen from the, the Killer Nerd films. Um, American Splendor. The, the great documentary Genuine Nerd. Mm-hmm. It's very fun. Uh, the one and only, yeah. yeah, ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Toby Radloff. How you doing? Doing well, Toby Radloff, the genuine nerd from Cleveland, Ohio. Once a nerd, always a nerd. Hell yeah! So, Toby, nothing wrong with being a nerd. Believe yeah. me. Yeah, Toby's the guy that made being a nerd cool. Yes, he's the he's he's the one. Um, mm-hmm. Now, um, how, how did it all get kind of started for you with the whole thing? Were you uh, were you interested in like acting and stuff like that, or is it something that kind of fell into your lap? Uh, what happened was it was when I first met Harvey P. Carr. Yeah, when I first got my job at the VA hospital back in nineteen eighty. Harvey put out a comic book called American Splendor. I got to know Harvey quite well, and Harvey started featuring me in his articles, because Harvey wrote about, you know, his working at the hospital, his growing up, his, you know, his difficulties with marriage and stuff like that. He had all kinds of stories about Cleveland and about himself and about work. Yeah, uh, if anybody has never seen the movie American Splendor, you know, starring Paul Giamatti, uh, Giamatti over there, um, mm-hmm. ch- definitely check it out. It's a great film, you know. Um, yeah, and yeah, he was uh, he was huge with that in the comic book world. You know what I mean? He, he taps into Crumb a little bit, Harry Crumb there, uh, Robert Crumb, Robert Crumb. My apologies. And yeah, um, it's cool. It kind of. Um, it kind of biopics a little bit of Toby's life in there too, you know what I mean? Which mm-hmm. is cool. Yes. How da? How da? How did the film come like come about? Do you know any anything about the behind the scenes on that? What happened with the film was there was Harvey's comic books, which he had self published originally, was getting a word of mouth as a result of you know. You know, people were buying it and liking it, and it got to the point where when Harvey first appeared on David Letterman, I think it was back in 1985 or 1986, I don't remember what year, Yeah. But even though Harvey had denied it, I think his Letterman appearances have helped the sales of the book and it helped Harvey's career. Oh, for sure, yeah, his and le- yeah. Sorry. And I've been sort of like riding on the coattails <laughs> of Harvey's career thanks to my being featured in the book. And that led to an MTV crew 
coming to the medical records department in 1987, where, actually I think it was 86, where I was featured on MTV for a number of times as a result. It was a VJ, right? That's the correct term for that? A VJ? Like a video jockey? I was on the weekend, I was on weekend rock and I was on MTV News as a genuine nerd. Yeah. I, I talk about things like hamburgers, I talked about you know, drive-in movies, other things, and one MTV spot that, you know, you very rarely see anymore, we went to a place called, we went to three different burger places with a New York MTV crew. Yeah. And Harvey was with us. We went first to a place that used to be up in Willoughby called Crumbly Burger, where they served the food, they served the burgers, you know, ground up on a bun, yeah. similar to an, a place up up in Iowa called Made Right, where they, it's like a sloppy joe without the tomato sauce. Without the sauce, yeah. That's good. Yeah, and then we went, and then from there we went to, it was the it was like the very last original McDonald's in Cleveland. Yeah, that still had the big yellow golden arches on it. Yeah, and that was like maybe like a year or so before that one was replaced with a modern restaurant. It was like the last one of its kind in the Cleveland area, and I think the only other one that's still like that is up in California. They did build a replica of it in Illinois near the McDonald's headquarters, but I think they ended up tearing that one down. Yeah. And they're bringing the drive-in And then back. third, we, and then the end of all, we went to White Castle. Oh, there you go. And that was where, <laughs> and that was where I came up with the, with, with the term, uh, say no to drugs, say yes to White Castle. I, I found out I loved White Castle mainly from at least a couple of road trips to Columbus where they have them. And then White Castle started opening restaurants in Cleveland. And I went, we went there a few, we went there for that, you know, almost, you know, right after they opened. And then I went to White Castle myself a number of times while they were here. They ended up closing all their Cleveland area restaurants a few years ago, but I still eat the frozen ones once in a while. And if I remember in Columbus, I would go to a White Castle there, but I haven't been in Columbus in at least a couple years. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I always see the white. We don't have any over here. We're in Rhode Island in Massachusetts, and we don't have any White Castle. I've always wanted one. We get them. In, we have the frozen section type, but uh, we don't have the the real deal, legitimate, um, you know, stuff. It's a white Castle before. Yeah, because the White Castles that are made in the restaurant are better because they make them fresh. Yeah. But the frozen ones are better than nothing. Yeah, the um. So you took a big gigantic road trip in the movie. It talks about you taking a big road trip to go see uh, Revenge of the Nerds. Up in Toledo, yeah. It was. I mean, some of the stuff was embellished. Yeah. For the film, but I, I actually, 
it was like 1984 when the movie first came out. White Castle wasn't even around yet in Cleveland then. I just jumped on the turn. I saw the, the, the new the hospital library had out-of-town papers, and I found out about Revenge of the Nerds looking at the Toledo Blade. And I noticed that the movie was supposed to open Friday in Toledo, and they hadn't had it opened in Cleveland yet, but back then they would open movies in certain markets before it goes nationwide. So I, ended up, I didn't want to miss the movie because I think I'd, I, it's a movie I'd wanted to see real bad. So I drove to this Maldaplex theater up at what is now the mall that's, you know, the theater and the mall that it was in is no longer around. But it was nice taking the drive out there because the mall was still thriving back then. Even though the cinema was, I saw it like in a cinema with a postage stamp type screen. Yeah. But still, I liked seeing that. So, and I made, you know, made, I made a good road trip out of it. There was like a nice, real nice video arcade and restaurant in that mall as well. Those near the theaters. And then I, you know, and then I drove back to Cleveland and that was when I found out that the next Friday was when Nerds was going to open in Cleveland. And the movie pretty much played in one form or another the rest of the year. It was it ended up being a big hit. Yeah. So you've had a... I saw it probably like 25 times Woo! or so during its initial theatrical run. So you, you, get a, you, wow. you get a lot of love for the cinema going way back then. Yeah, way back when. Yeah, back then there were like, you know, it was nice going to a theater. I mean, it was a lot cheaper than than it is now. I mean, now, I mean, I have, the last time I've been to a theater was almost two years ago. Yeah. I don't go to a movie theater much anymore, and especially with the coronavirus. Yeah, they've been shut down for a year, pretty much. Yeah, a lot of them have been shut down because of the coronavirus, but anymore, I would wait for the DVD or I would wait for Netflix or streaming and watch it at home. Yeah. Because, I mean, between, you know, because also people are a lot more rude now. Yeah. When you say when you go to a theater and somebody's yakety 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 on the cell phone, mm-hmm. or they'd have, if it's like a kid's, we'd be kids running around the theater unsupervised and stuff like that. Yeah. There have been more than one time I had to shush someone. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to deal with the drama. <laughs> I hear you on that. Yeah, I got but you. then again, there have been times I've gone to a theater, and at least a couple times I was the only one inside the, audit, the whole auditorium watching a movie. True. Yeah. yeah that right. I don't mind. I can't say. I can't argue yeah. with being the only person in the theater. That's the best way to watch a movie. Hopefully the, the theaters will return strong. How do you feel about the whole thing with... Um, the idea that theaters might be, you know, they've been hurting to begin with a little bit, but some people say that, you know, the the, the death of theaters might have come with all this uh, on-demand on where you can just watch it on your uh, home-viewing entertainment system. You think that's a big problem? Uh, that's that's going to end up hurting a lot of theaters, but then still, I mean, coronavirus, I mean, the pandemic is not going to last forever, and people are going to eventually go back to their normal routines. It depends on when there's a vaccine out and that. But 
still, I mean, there's movies that are worth watching on the big screen. Yeah. And people will go out of their way to do that, but there'll probably be a lot fewer movie theaters now in a few years than there would be now. Is there anything that's being released? that you want to see that you would actually, you know, go out despite COVID and go to the theater to see? Not really, not at this point. What type of movies brings you to the theaters nowadays with with COVID? I would say, I mean, anything with anything that it would be, you know, even though I'm not much in the sci-fi or adventure, if the movie's gotten a big write-up and a big success, yeah. You know, I would go to the theater and watch it. Yeah. But anymore, I just wait for either Redbox, Netflix, or streaming. What's some of your favorite films? I like The Blues Brothers. I like Animal House. John Landis. I think it's like anything John, made by John Hughes. You know, like Sixteen Candles, Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink. He was basically the... Yeah. The ultimate 1980s movie maker. Yeah, I tell everybody all the time, I say, you know, The Breakfast Club is such an important film. I think that, you know, high school should show it like the first day of high school. So everybody knows that yeah. they're on the same page, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think he also did the first National Lampoon's Vacation, and he also did Home Alone. Correct, yeah. Produced them. And Chris Columbus. Yeah. Mix. Yeah. Yeah, John, uh, John so Hughes. I, yeah. Yes, Mel? John oh, no, Hughes. I was going to say something. Yeah. Yeah, he was great. Mm-hmm. So, I got a question. Would you be willing to take a question from a caller? I would, sure. Okay. Hello, sir. First time, long time. That's what callers do when they call into a situation. Yeah. But I want to talk about your, I, and I'll let you shamelessly promote your YouTube page. I want to know how you felt about when Twinkies and the Candy Heart business almost went out of business. I, I know it's an odd question, but, you know, my stash is in Twinkies Johnson's and underwear. Candy Hearts. <laughs> yeah, my, my stash is in Johnson's underwear, so. Yeah. Speaking of Breakfast Club. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I host this Twinkies. Yeah. And they went out of business. How did you feel? I've seen your YouTube page. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that after. Yeah, I mean, I used to like, I mean, I liked Hostess Twinkies. I still like them once in a while. But as I said, the recipe had changed since Hostess was taken over by another company. By a different company? Oh. Yeah, a different company took them over there. They probably like maybe put more preservatives in them or something yeah. and they're not the same they're good but they're not the same as when hostess themselves made it before they went out of business yeah now that now they can be used as uh paperweights and you know door holders yeah i mean they're more like more like little dippies now if you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> and little dippies are loaded with preservatives <laughs> they're killers I remember speaking of Twinkies, I remembered Harvey Pekar telling me a story once. He had went to a books, it was like a book warehouse that specializes in rare books. I think it was called 
John Sweetball, and part of the part of the book store was in a former part of the book warehouse is in a former hostess bakery in Cleveland, and he was showing like the plumbing where the filling was. It, it contained the filling for the hostess Twinkies. Hmm. And the filling was in, was injected into the cakes through this plumbing, and he ended up like turning on, and Mr. Zubal ended up turning on a valve inside the book warehouse, and there was still like some of the filling from the Twinkie inside, and he put it on his thumb and licked it and ate it, and it tasted like the Twinkie filling. Yeah. You know, the the Twinkie filling was still in the plumbing pipes at that warehouse for years. Oh, that but that used to be a bakery for hostess years ago. Right. I, I wish I had... And as for the candy, and as for the candy hearts, yeah. you know, Nickel had went out of business because they were the ones that made them, but there were like other companies that made the candy hearts as well. I mean, I like the candy hearts, but I'm not as crazy about them as say the cinnamon hearts, you know, right? like I say, like chocolate Valentine candy. Yeah, I like looking at the messages on the hearts and that you know, love you, whatever. But as I said, they're more like the nickel wafers, but in a heart shape. Yeah. Now, they were that crazy about nickel wafers to begin with. Necco, they go way back. Necco wafers go way back, though. Jesus used to eat Necco wafers. That's how old those things. Yeah, are. I know. I think a company in Ohio bought them and are making them again. I always uh, like Necco wafers and candy hearts are something you could either love or hate. I love them. I love seeing them. I see them and they just brings me back to being a kid. Yeah. Do you guys remember when they had like? Um, Gummy, I know Ghost, when the Ghostbusters movie came out, they made this like, it was like a gummy ghost thing, and it came on these plastic mm-hmm. pads, and you'd peel them off, but they were like all deformed mm-hmm. and stuff looking. Yeah. Yeah. Forever. So, mm-hmm. uh, what's it feel like to have somebody play you in a film? I've never had that experience. How's it feel? Yeah. What's it like? Yeah, I feel honored because Judith Friedlander. He appeared like in a bunch, he was a stand-up comedian. Yeah. He appeared in a bunch of, you know, he appeared like as a character actor in a number of movies. He still does character acting today. He's on 30 He was Rock. also on the NBC TV yep. series 30 Rock. Yes. Big deal. And he looks back at my role as being one of his favorite roles. And whenever Judah comes into town to do a stand-up show, we would get together. Yeah, it's a great performance. Did you guys get together ahead of time and, like, spend time together to, so we can get it down? Yeah, we or? did, yeah. We got together first up at, a, up at the Stouffer Hotel, up at the Renaissance Hotel downtown, where we basically talked about, you know, the movies and stuff. He was in the low-budget horror, too, and he had seen Killer, he had seen Killer Nerd, before he even met me, believe it or not. Yeah, he's in Feast, right? That's, I think, yeah. a horror film. He's, he's like in the, like the low-budget horror stuff as well. Hell yeah. And he liked Killer Nerd. I mean, 
he was honored to play me. I mean, the guy looked, I mean, making him look like me is sort of like, you know, changing his image because Judah has like, he has the beard, he has the long, yeah. scraggly hair and wears the trucker caps that say <laughs> world champion, that world champion is like his yeah. comedy shtick. I love it, yeah. But they made him look exact, almost exactly like me from the 80s. Yeah. And basically Judah played me in scenes that were set in the 1980s in American Splendor. Yeah, he did a great and job. Judah still looked back at that role today. I like how they brought you. You're in the film yourself, which is cool. I like how the filmmaker. Yeah. I like how the filmmaker kind of switched that up with your Giamatti and Harvey, Pol like switching them around and such. Um, and that's one of the best parts of the film as well, having both the characters playing us as well as the real people in, in some of the scenes, and especially like the end, which is actually. Harvey P. Carr's retirement party. Yeah. Where they brought in co-workers from the hospital and we're eating cake and stuff. Believe me, I remember taking a bunch of this cake home with me and I was yeah. eating cake every day for at least three weeks because they gave me so much of it. <laughs> yeah, the movie's great. For any, again, for anybody who's never seen it, American Splendor, check it out. Now, what was it like working with uh, Paul Giamatti and just working on that film? Uh, Paul was very easy to get along with. I liked him well. Yeah. Paul did a great job as Harvey. Yeah. Did Harvey like, did Harvey appreciate the job that Paul did, or? Harvey appreciated that quite well. Good, good, good. And Hope Davis played a great Joyce Bradner. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was good stuff. Mel, you got to check out American Splendor. You'll dig that. It's a dramatic film. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't watched it yet. It's very cool. Mm. Yeah, Harvey's cool. We would have fit in there. I like the records. I collect records myself. You get into records? What, what, do you got, what do you got for hobbies over there, Toby? What do you like to do? I collect records myself. I've been collecting records since I was a, a, since I was a child, basically. I mean, I would get them either from thrift stores, cut out bins, flea markets. Yeah. If there's a record that I liked that came out, I would pay the full price for it. And then other times I would find the records online. Right. Records that I was have, try, trying to find for years and years and years that were like next to impossible, but the internet made it very easy to find them. Yeah. What's your most prized record that you have? I would say I got like a couple of rare Beatle albums. Nice. You know, one of them was like an original on VJ Records. That was like before they went to Capitol. And then I also have like a couple of picture discs with Elvis Presley. I also found a 78 by Elvis in a Goodwill store years ago. I keep that put away. Yeah. And then there are like some, like the latest thing that I bought online was the album by Ed Cookie Burns, has Cookie Cookie Lend Me Your Calm on it. Yeah. It was from 59. That was an album that I was looking for for years and years also. And I found a near mint copy of it on eBay for $15. Nice. 
Yeah. And the media always worked it because I was hunting for that album for years and years and years. You gotta love. I know eBay is good, but you gotta you gotta love the hunt. You know what I mean? You can just get it easily on eBay. But the good old days of hunting down those those. I used to look for VHS too. So like hunting down records and VHS back in the day was a, quite a thrill. Yeah, yeah, quite a thrill. You know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's, I still would tend to look at records of thrift shops and flea markets, but that hasn't you know because. You know, because in a few years I'm going to end up having a downsize again because I'm uh-huh. I'll be moving in with my mother after I, I retire, mm-hmm. and I may have to get rid of some of the records. No, I'll take them. But <laughs> yeah, yeah I, <laughs> I mean, I'm not getting rid of the rare stuff, yeah. but I may end up having to get rid of some things that I'd be moving from my apartment over to my mother's house. Hey, I'm all for it. And also, I would have to like end up getting help with moving, mainly because you know I'm getting art, you know, getting arthritis in my knees and stuff. And sixty-three, I'm sixty-two years old, and even though I look and act a lot younger than I really am, parts of my body are showing its age. Yeah, the nature of the beast. Well, me and Matt, me and Matt, will come help you move. You can pass it. Yeah, I dig it. Yeah, that won't be for another few years, though. The, uh, my, my intention is to get 42 years in at the VA and in my 39th year now. Yeah. So, the longer I work, the bigger my pension will be. That's how I see it. Man, that's the deal. How's the uh, flea market world over there in Ohio? Uh, I The only flea market I've been to this year so far was the one up at the Berea Fairgrounds, which is just up the street from me. Yeah. And, you know, I you know, sometimes go there, like, on a Saturday or Sunday morning and look around. But as I said, I don't really have the energy for road trips as much as I used to, mainly because I drive, the car I have has 184,000 miles on it. I'm trying to save it for going to and from work. Yeah, I don't. I'm worried about taking a road trip with it and breaking down in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, truth. Yeah, because as I said, I mean, that's, I'm just basically saving the car for when I have to go to and from the rapid station to go to work and to run my errands every week, and that's about it. We got like uh, savers and you know Salvation Armies and stuff like that, but. We only had like one really, I think, decent flea market over by uh, over where I'm at, at least. But mm. I dig the flea market world. So yeah, I mean, flea markets are a lot better than thrift stores because you're finding a lot of stuff that's unique or funky. I mean, sure, you're looking at junk and garbage in some places, but you're looking at treasures. I mean, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Amen. I hope that. And there's a thing, I mean, I like looking around, and there's a thing, I mean, there's a nice one. I've been, I mean, there's a few nice ones in Ohio. There's Jamie's up in Amherst, Ohio. It's a fairly large one. And then there's like another one up in Rogers, which is about halfway between Youngstown and East Liverpool. But they're only open on Fridays. So I have to do it during a vacation day. 
but you know it's a huge flea market mostly like you know hillbilly types but you know they got all, all kinds of stuff there yeah and then there was like another one I went to it's like right off of 71 up in Wilmington Ohio it's in an old trucking terminal I don't remember the name of it but again it's like a huge flea about halfway between Columbus and Cincinnati and that's another one that's well worth the trip yeah you should do uh I hope that the the covid thing doesn't kill all the kill off all the flea markets and thrift stores because it's very it's possible there could be if everybody's afraid of all that you know older stuff that other people have touched type uh situation <laughs> so hopefully that ain't the deal uh did you do uh conventions and stuff comic conventions and horror conventions I mean you should definitely be a parent. I've done them in, I've done them in the past yeah you know the last one I've been to was a Kent state and it was like a Comic-Con type thing. Yeah. It was, you know, wasn't attended very well, but, I mean, it was a, just a one afternoon type thing, but I did sell like a number of DVDs there. And then we went to one in Pittsburgh. We went to one in Strongsville up at a Holiday Inn that was well attended. Yeah. That was sitting on the wasteland. Ah, uh, okay. Yep. That's a big one. Yeah. You can find some good stuff at the cons, too, walking around. Yeah, I mean, I've got, like, <laughs> DVDs and tapes that I found at cons. Yeah. They had, like, hard-to-find stuff on there. Yeah. Would you do a convention now? If you uh, if, if, I'm still working with Wayne Allen Herald and stuff like that, but if a, if a convention comes up and Wayne wants to participate in it, I take part in it. Are you if we could find strawberry Twinkies, would you do it? If I could find them in the store, yes. If, no, if we could find them and pay you in strawberry Twinkies, would you do it? He doesn't want your Twinkies. I, <laughs> uh, where would the convention be? Would it be in Cleveland or Ohio? Or more local, like on the East Coast? Uh, I don't know. I mean... It's hard for me to get days off of work. Yeah. Oh, God. LeBron doesn't even want to go over to Ohio, though. Well. Yeah. Ohio. I think when you're in Rhode Island and I'm in Ohio. Ohio. But then again, I mean, by the, by that time, hopefully COVID will be over with. Hopefully. Yeah, this COVID, COVID thing's weird, Because a lot of people aren't really into going out mainly because of this and you know because I said you know because large conventions that attract a lot of people even if everybody's wearing a mask there's still that chance of spread yeah nah for sure yeah it's scary yeah you know it's terrible I mean I'd love to go to a convention again but now's not the time are you a man of conspiracy do you do you have an opinion on what COVID actually is? Is it could it be a man-made thing that was leaked, or an actual just something that a freak of nature thing that happened? I still think it's a, a it's still I still think it happened in nature. Yeah, I mean I don't believe in conspiracy theories. I hear you. Oh, you're not. You're I mean only I only real nutcases believe in conspiracy <laughs> theories, like certain radio hosts and stuff like that. Yeah. No, I hear you. <laughs> 
I hear you. There's a show called Behold the Pill Podcast. They're the worst. They're out of control. Yeah. They're out of control. Yeah. Yeah. So, big long. What's your favorite genre of film to watch? If you're gonna crack open, you know, you gonna you get home from work, you want to put on a movie to let you relax. What what movie are you putting on? Typically, a comedy or a drama. Yeah. Who's who's some of your favorite actors? Are you influenced by anybody? Uh, I mean, some of the actors I liked, you know, I mean, there's so many of them, but as I said, because I'm into different types of films, I can't really pinpoint a certain actor. Yeah. It's, uh, there's a lot of good, uh, I should say actresses. I mean, I liked a lot of the films that had, like, former Saturday Night Live stars on me, like... Chevy Chase, you know, the vacation movies. Yeah. John Belushi, Animal House Blues Brothers. Yeah, you're a, uh, you're a big John Landis fan, I believe. And Animal House yeah, House I like Blues anything Brothers. John Landis pretty much. I mean, I liked, you know, it's been years since I saw, you know, saw a lot of these films, but Animal House became a classic. Of course, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I got to meet John Landis uh, many moons ago at a Rock and Shock horror yeah. convention up by us. He's a good guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you feel about yeah. re- reboots? And I, w- would we ever see a Killer Nerd reboot? Uh, if they were to redo Killer Nerd, it'd be a younger person playing Harold Kunkel. Yeah, you're not going to. I would not reprise. I, I would not reprise the role because. I'm a lot. Old. I was, I was 32 years old when I played Harold Kunkel. Now I'm 62. Yeah, 1991, 62, 32, 62. Yeah, I think it is time. There's a, it's time for, for Killer Nerd Three needs to happen now. Everything yeah. lined up right. I'm all for it. Yeah, I mean, it depends on if Wayne Allen Harold wants to do it or somebody. But either way. I may do a cameo in it, but someone else is going to have to play Harold Kunkel. I very, I very much support the bring bring the people back for cameos for reboots. I think that's huge. But I'd yeah, I love to see that. So, speaking of uh, Killer Nerd itself, you know what I mean the big the big mm-hmm. bomb bomb diggity. Um, how how that how that film come about? Now that was did that come from the MTV thing? Kind of of seeing you on there, you had it sort of spun off of yeah. it because I worked with Wayne Allen Harold and Mark Bosco since nineteen eighty eight. Yeah, I met him at a Superman convention downtown, and MTV was looking for somebody local to do my spots, mainly because they didn't want to send a crew out from New York every time something came up so they had Wayne and Mark do it and after the MTV appearances ran their course it was I think the last one was like in late 89 or summer 89 that was what led to Killer Nerd because Wayne and Mark wanted to do a low budget horror movie and back then video stores were still big and I admit having and it would be something that was made for video, but I did have 
sort of delusions of grandeur about it years ago, yeah. figuring that, you know, back then, you know, videotapes are like priced for rental, and you figured with 4,000 video stores out there, if 2,000 video stores bought just one copy of Killer Nerd mm. at $60 a piece, that would have, you know, been good money, but getting your product into the video store was hard enough to crack. Yeah. Yeah, that, You're back in 1991. I, I, so, Toby, as a nerd, what did you think of, like, the Revenge of the Nerds movies? I liked the first and second ones, you know, the second ones where they went to Fort Lauderdale. No Those two love. were good. Yeah. But the third and fourth ones that you're made for TV... Those are only so-so. I mean, still they had Robert Carradine and, and you know, Curtis Armstrong and Larry B. Scott and, you know, Lamar Booker and, and Lewis. But they basically, you know, were lame because they were made for TV movies. Right. While the do, first do you theatrical. Feel, you feel like you relate to any of the characters in those movies? I would say Robert Carradine, you know, Robert Louis Skolnick's character, because yeah. he was the one who was bullied and picked on a lot, but he had the guts to go, you know, to get the revenge. We're going to get dark and deep. How was, how was school? How was school for Toby? Was it, was it, was it like, was it picked on? Was it it when I was in high school and junior high. Yeah, no good? What do you think? I was bullied a lot in junior and senior high. More so in junior high, because yeah. I had kids picking on me, harassing me. It got to the point where I ended up losing my temper at some kids, especially. It was like one point where I, had, I got sent to the principal's office because I had threatened a student with a hammer in a shop class. Because yeah. the guy was harassing me to the point where I snapped. And I ended up you know, basically getting out of that class and into a study hall that year. But as I got into senior high, I made more friends. Yeah. And I made more friends and, you know, people had, had a changed attitude, although I was still bullied by some. And I've attended the class reunions and I've had people apologize to me for bullying me. Well, that's cool. What do you think of that? And I attended the reunions. What's your take on somebody's apology? You accept that, or what do you, what do you got? You hold I accepted it, yeah, because they went on with their lives, and they realized what they did was so childish. Yeah. And in fact, a lot of these, some of these, some of my, a lot of my former classmates, some Facebook friends with. Did you see a lot more apologies as you got more out there and successful? Yes, yeah, basically, they saw Killer <laughs> yeah. Nerd, they saw Splendor, yeah. they saw the MTV stuff, and... So the bullying, bullying kind of... Well, that's how it is. You out that's just how people are. Unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately, that's how people are, you know what I mean, sometimes. Yes, I mean, that's how... I mean, kids, I mean, kids want to be kids, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kids are cruel, for sure. Oh, my... I don't... There, there's few, yes. few crueler than kids when they I don't think they understand the psychology of what they're doing at the time you know what I mean yeah yeah like bullying mm -hmm. I was I was and now yeah. I'm a nerd on the we all are you know what I mean that's what we're yeah doing. 
Yeah, it's crazy. It's a crazy time. What's your take on bullying? With like the whole the fact that people can get the kids can get bullied on the internet now, and how it's just like, you know, they you can't escape it. It kind of, that sucks. You know what I mean? You hear? Yeah, about that makes me Committing suicide because of bullying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's very sad that kids are being bullied, especially on social media. I'm just sort of glad that there was no social media. When I was in, there was no social media, no internet while I was in school. Do you take pride knowing that, you know, that the Harold Kunky <laughs> character get, was a kind of a hero to people in that, in that sense? With, with the, with the, the, you know, people that Harold were bullied? Kunkel. Yeah. Oh, Kunkel, Harold my Kunkel. bad, yeah, my bad, my bad, yeah, Kunkel. My apologies. Yeah. But, What's your take on that? People look at look at him in a positive way, but you know who who've been through stuff like that. I mean, they like being killer nerd, believe it or not. Of course, of course. Well, I look at they love being killer nerd. I think anybody that's ever been kind of bullied in their life can can find can look almost at you and you and killer nerd uh, as Harold uh, in a good light. You know, almost it's a. I'd almost say superhero like in a way. You know, you don't want to go too crazy and say something like that, but mm-hmm. like you know. So, like an anti-hero. You're definitely an anti-hero in the film, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's a great film too. I love it. It's not it's it, it, it's actually done good with the with the with the sound and stuff and yeah, the music yeah. to it. it. It's it's not just your typical kind of 90s. Uh and it wasn't made for mm-hmm. a lot of money, right? Do you know how much money it was made for? Uh probably maybe like only a few thousand dollars. Yeah, and I mean you watch it and you won't be able to tell that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, Wayne and Mark did an excellent job giving it, like, a film-like look, even though it was shot on videotape. Those shot, those shot on video situations. Uh... Yeah. No, were you going to say that? Yeah. And I think the movie pretty much picked up when Mark Bosco sold the rights to the film, The Troma, and then Troma... We released them both on tape and on DVD. As a fan, how do you feel about Roma? Did you get to meet? As a, yeah. I did meet Lloyd Kaufman a couple times. Yes, at various conventions. Yeah, I did meet Lloyd Kaufman a few times. Lloyd's a good dude. I've worked with Lloyd a few times. Yeah, good man. Lloyd. Do you have any good stories about meeting Lloyd? Not really. I mean, I just basically said hi and. And I basically assigned some killer nerds for him and that. I'd love to get my hands on a, a poster, a theatrical poster of Killer Nerd, signed by you, yeah. and that'd be awesome. Um, hell yeah. It was followed up by Killer Nerd, a part two, Bride of Killer Nerd. It was followed by Bride of, Kill, Bride of Killer Nerd. Yeah, that was fun. Bride of Killer Nerd was the second one. Taking reference Ooh, to the Frankenstein route of things, you know? Yeah, like, the thing was, Killer Nerd was sort of a dark film, Yeah, but Bride of Killer Nerd, there was like a little more humor to it, but Bride of Killer Nerd was a little more light-hearted than the original Killer Nerd. Yeah, I I hold it in high regard. Carol Kunkel was like a dark, brooding character in Killer Nerd, but upon meeting Thelma Crump... Yeah. In the second, you like a like a nerd girl was bullied. Sort of, you know, because you know, this Bride of Killer Nerd was a little more comedic, 
comedic than Killer Nerd was. Do you think we'll ever see a part three to the to the saga? I don't know, but if it's redone, if it's redone, or if there's a sequel, I may or may not be part of it. Has there ever been talks? I'm basically it? too old. I'm basically too old to play the role. Well, yeah, I th- I, the, the role I'd say probably have to get somebody else, but you know, I, son you of definitely, killer nerd. You could, yeah, son yeah. of killer nerd, perfect, right there. Um, yeah, hell yeah, I, I, I'd like to see it, you know, and I think mm-hmm. you can make movies for so much cheaper nowadays too. You know what I mean? Right, but, but then again, you would have to go to Wayne Allen Harold because he owns the rights to the films. Has he ever addressed uh, interest, you think, in doing it? I don't think Wayne really had any interest in doing a third killer nerd. Yeah. So let's bring it forward. Because, I mean, he's basically basically into, you know, working with Pete Craig Russell on his graphic novels right now. And now do an occasional video appearance for YouTube or Vimeo. On, you know, you know, I, and there's no money to do it, but, but it was like based. I was like reviewing, you know, low budget, old old horror, movie, old low budget horror movies. I saw some, some of your nerd. Theater. I saw some of your nerd raps on there too. That that was Eddie Marshall. That was uh, low. That was a local access cable show that appeared in the eighties. I seen you do like a COVID rap or something like that recently. I, I did like a COVID rap for wait, that, you know, I did the. I thought she was talking about the one Eddie Marshall thing, but oh, she I did be. a COVID. I did a COVID rap. That was great. Last I loved March it. with Wayne Allen Harold. I love that. That was great. Yeah, that I she was talking about something I did in '88. Yeah, I, I could, well, like, we were on your YouTube channel. If you want to, you know, throw out the link to that right now, you surely can. But yeah. like, there was so many great videos, and I was like, I'm sitting here watching them, and I'm laughing hysterically. And Yeah, I got a lot of stuff on there. I mean, just type my name on YouTube, and you're going to get a lot of videos. Yeah. Now, so, I know you met, you worked with Harvey, but, um... Community-wise, like around back in the eighties, what was the community? It was were you guys in Cleveland? So yeah. How was the community back then? In that time, was it that? Did, uh, you, did you know each other? Like Cleveland was still pretty much in decline back in the eighties, but things were gradually starting to turn around with George Voinovich as mayor. Yeah. They were starting to get things done downtown and stuff like that. And, like, in the 90s, we ended up getting the new baseball, football stadiums and arena. We ended up getting new hotels. Tower City got redone, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But then again, fast forward to 2020, and that stuff, dude, those buildings are, like, almost 30 years old now. Yeah. Are you a sports fan, having all these awesome places to go to? I like to, I follow the local teams, but... I was never really much in the sports. But to, uh, to go back real quick, um, so like the community, like as I know you knew Harvey, and Harvey knew uh, knew Robert Crumb 
through that community too like was there a lot was it really was it really popping like booming at that time because there's a lot of talent there you know what I mean yeah a lot of talent but still it was pretty much still underground yeah true fact I mean it wasn't mainstream until say if it got like a little more mainstream when Harvey started appearing on national television yeah, which was good. Him on Letterman, it's classic. You can look them up on YouTube uh, as well. That's, yeah. He was very controversial. He was ahead of his time with that controversial stuff. Yes. Do you think that that was all a work? Uh, like, uh, Do you think that Letterman was in on it? It was one of those things? Or do you think it was a complete off-the-cuff? They were, you know... It was basically all off-the-cuff. Yeah. Although, you know, I mean, Harvey was known to piss off David Letterman. Makes for great television, though. You know what I mean. I always want. I always want. Yeah. If there was a little thing like that Andy Kaufman thing when him and you know Jerry and Jerry the King Lawler had their beef, like how that was all yeah. found out to be a work after the fact. But yeah. Definitely great appearances. Yeah. So, do you have any? Uh, what are some of the highlights? When you look back at your career, what are some of the highlights uh, you look you think about? I would say the biggest highlight would be touring the country on behalf of the American Splendor premiere, because I remember going to Park City, Utah, for the premiere up at Sundance. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was like in the 40s in Utah, while it was like single-digit cold in Cleveland. Yeah. I spent like a few days in Park City, Utah, attending, you know, the premieres and that, and then the following summer, there was the summer of 2003, went to both Los Angeles and New York City for the premieres there. The L.A. premiere was up at the Cinerama Dome. Yeah. And the, and the New York premiere was up at the theater in the village. Yeah. And that was, you know, nice going to New York and going to L.A. and New York for the first time in my life. Yeah, that's And then I went back to New York in November, and I appeared with, it was like a special screening of both American Splendor and Revenge of the Nerds. And I met... Yeah. I met, you know, I met Andrew Cassisi, the guy that played Wormser... And I met Ted McGinley, the guy that played Stan yeah. Gable, one of the jocks. They're both real nice people. Yeah. I met them both up in New York. As someone who's been a film fan his entire life, what's it like to be sitting at Sundance with the movie you're in? That get that touches on I your felt life. Good about, I felt good about being in that premiere. Yeah, I met Steve Buscemi down there. Yeah. You know, he wasn't in the movie, but I did meet Steve Piacini. Yeah. Did you uh, yeah, that was nice to meet, you know, be there with, you know, with the, all the actors playing in the movie. And then, like, other things I've done over the years included, I went to New York with Wayne Allen Harold for the Howard Stern show, where they did the Whack Packer contest. Yeah. I was, I was going in, in there expecting to lose, but, yeah. you know, as I said... The guy that won it deserved that he lived was like some old guy living in a rundown hotel in in Vermont, and he won the Whack Packer. I mean, if I were to win it, it would have meant taking time off work to go to 
to go to New York to do the show. Yeah. So I was sort of glad that I had lost it. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be tough. I, was, I mean, because I was experienced actor already, and Stern was looking for some somebody who had never had any show business experience at all, but it was nice being on the show. Yeah. Well, yeah, that show was gigantic. I mean, uh... Yeah. For anybody that... It, it, and then... Yeah. And then Judah Friedlander and I went to San Francisco for a screening of Splendor. I think it was about five or six years ago. It was a place called the Roxy Theater. I think it was like in the Tenderloin District or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was an old theater in a sort of seedy part of San, of San Francisco, but they put me in a real nice hotel. Yeah. Well, that's cool. And that, you know, that was good, too. Get to live the life a little bit. Live the good life. Yeah. Yeah. First time I've been to San Francisco. That was nice. Have you ever met any actors that you really respected that, you know, told you they liked your performance in any of your films? I mean, except for the people that actually were in the films, I don't think I've really met anybody who actually appeared in a movie. Yeah. Other than the people I've, you know, previously met, you know, Giamatti, Steve Buscemi, a few others. Do you have any good any good stories about working with Paul Giamatti? Uh, I like working with him. He was a real nice guy to work with. How was uh, how was the 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 environment on the Howard Stern show when you went in there? Uh, on Howard Stern, it was. I mean, I felt good about going in there. I mean, it was real nice being on there. Like, I mean, he wasn't condescending at all. Yeah, you know, every year we just did the the whack packer contest. I mean, one guy was. I mean, one of the guys in the contest was a guy who lived in a rundown motel in Virginia, yeah. and the other guy was a guy, was a quadriplegic in a wheelchair, yeah. and he had a dill, he was using a dildo <laughs> as a mouth controller for the wheelchair. <laughs> Howard Stern, baby. The old Howard Stern, he's different now, I hear. Yeah. Yeah, it was a different time. Um, yeah. Out of all the projects you've been a part of, uh, what film or performance of yours do you feel should have more, um, pe- more people should know about it or appreciate it than do? I would say it would be probably a, probably American Splendor because that was like the most high, that was like the, that was like the highest profile movie I was ever in. Yeah. Even though I was also in Owen, Ohio, with Parker Posey and Danny DeVito, although Danny DeVito didn't do his scenes in Cleveland, I did meet Parker Posey. I played a guy who was running a floor scrubber in an office building. I was only in the movie for like a minute, but it was still an HBO production. I made something like $800 for one evening's work. Hey, can't beat that. Yeah. How did gen- the, the the genuine nerd the documentary I own it uh, love it How did that come about? Uh, basically, it was like stuff that Wayne Allen Harold had done. We were like doing interviews of stuff that include segments we've done for you know you know for you know for you know for social media or 
It had like some of the old MTV clips, I think, on it, and clips from Aberration Boulevard, which Wayne never released because I played a baby in a diaper in that film. I told Wayne that I, I'm not doing any more baby or diaper roles after yeah. playing one in Killer Nerd, yeah. and then playing one in and and besides, I didn't want to have Aberration Boulevard out. At the same time, American Splendor was coming out. True, true. Because I, I, I told Wayne Lynn I'm not doing any more baby or diaper roles. Yeah. It's a good documentary. Yeah, everybody should check that out as well. You know? Yeah. So, Toby, we're, 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 we're running out of time, but I want to thank you very mm -hmm. much for being on the show. It was a yeah. it was a pleasure having you on there. I've been a fan for years, you know, wa watching mm -hmm. the films and such. Um, like I yeah. said, you know, American Splendor is a great movie. You know, it's 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 yes. definitely a whole different world than than Killer Nerd. You know what I mean? Two different right. two different worlds of filmmaking. But um, yeah, because Killer Nerd was low budget. Yeah, American Splendor, even though it was an indie film, was still backed by New Line Cinema and Warner Brothers. Yeah. Yeah. There's the there's like Hollywood indie, and then there's like like you recently. I know you just worked with a friend of ours, Madeline. Uh, did um, mm -hmm. Spirit Animal. Um, yeah. Yeah. So like, I'm sure that that, that the set of Spirit Animal was probably a little a little different than it was on American Splendor. You know what I mean? Yeah. And in fact, I actually did my lines at home over the phone. Oh, that's the... Because I played the... I wasn't in there as myself. I played the voice of a talking tree. I like it. Yeah, I remember we... Uh, we uh, It screened it like an online screening recently with the film that we make, because I make films as well. Um, yeah. I'm waiting for Maddie Deering to send me a DVD of it. Yeah. I, I was in Pittsburgh... Why I was I was in Pittsburgh for the premiere of that, and it was like after that weekend that everything shut down because of coronavirus. Yeah, yeah, coronavirus is something else, man. It's crazy, but yeah, we. So it was like the last weekend that Pittsburgh nightlife, and as we knew it, was open yeah. before before the governor of Pennsylvania shut everything down. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully he'll be back soon, you know. Yeah. we got to have Maddie Daring on the show to talk about Spirit Animal soon. But, yeah. But again, I thank you, sir. It was uh, it was an honor to talk to you, man. It was, it was uh, like, I, I'm, no, no, bo, no bullshit. Been a fan for yeah. a long time, so it was nice to be able to uh, chat with you, man. And, uh, Thanks, man. Hopefully we could have you on the show again sometime. You know, you're always welcome. If you ever want to come on and talk about something you're promoting or just want to talk, yeah. I'd love to have you back. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, man. Well, have a good one, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Keep in touch, Matt. You want to say anything else to anybody out there? Tell them where they can look at your stuff. I, we kind of addressed everything earlier. but uh, Basically, um, you can find Killer Nerd... American Splendor and Owen, Ohio, and a few other of my films on DVD. I think Killer Nerd might be on YouTube. And 
American Splendor. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere or not, but it is on DVD. You might have to check eBay or Amazon for a lot of these, a lot of this stuff. But still, you know, I'm out there. Yeah. All right, folks. We'll catch y'all on the next episode of Shock Treatment with Mel and Daddy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>